0: had experience on Thursday that may be similar to what some of you experienced, Uh, we headed to uh, my sister's house to go do Thanksgiving, and I basically knew where I was going, right? Not all the way knew where I was going, but I basically knew where I was going, and so we got going, we were on the freeways, all that stuff was something I could handle, Until we got near the end, and it was like, is it this exit or is it this exit? Like, I know which exit is too soon, and I know which exit's too late, but there's two or three in between, and I'm not sure which one I take. And so you kind of just feel your way to where you're supposed to be, right? You just guess at what's the right way and of course asking for directions would be ridiculous I'm not going to ask for this I've been there enough times I should know how to get there whether I know how to get there or not does not matter I am going to do this without directions and so we kind of like piecemealed our way through it not totally confident we just kind of faked it until we made it right and it's interesting to me when we get to places where we kind of Just make it up because we're not totally sure of what we're talking about. Uh, Maybe you guys have watched um, Lie Witness News on uh, Jimmy Fallon. Not Jimmy Fallon, the other Jimmy. Jimmy Kimmel. Um, This is a bit that he does on his show where he comes up with a news story. Often it's a fake news story. And he asks people what they think about it. So um, he'll say something like, uh, What do you think about the president's comments on Wakanda this weekend? which obviously are fake because Wakanda is not a real country as much as we'd like it to be. And so they get people who sit here and they just kind of make up. Well, I thought they were, I mean, yeah, I mean, you got to do what, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, that's important that we have those standards. And, you know, they're just totally making it up as they go. It's like those directions. They're just kind of, they kind of know where they're at, but they're not totally sure what they're talking about. Uh, I'm suspicious that for most of us, if I said, oh, why does your church do communion the way you do? A lot of us would be in a kind of a lie witness news situation. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we do communion this way um, because it's really important and uh, we love God. And yes, next question. Right. You know, we just it's kind of a nebulous thing. And we're at this point in the book of Matthew where Jesus has his last supper and he institutes what we take of as communion. And so today we're just going to talk about all the basics of communion. And you may feel like that's something you've heard before here. And if so, you have. Uh, But I realize in the room are a lot of people who were not here the last time I did a sermon like this. And it's something here at the feast that we do every single Sunday. Communion is part of our weekly tradition as a church. And so when we have an opportunity walking through the Gospels to take some time to think about communion and why it's important, uh, I like to do that. And so today we're just going to walk through this story where Jesus first institutes the Lord's Supper and we're going to um, talk about what he does and why he does it and talk a little bit about why we do it here. It might be a super uber practical uh, Sunday. For some of you, it might be a little redundant Sunday. But anytime we do something like communion week in and week out, I think it's important we know why. So that when we're asked, we can go, well, we do it because instead of uh, kind of faking our way through the explanation. Uh, Let me say a couple of things real quick up top. The first of all, I'm going to talk about the Lord's Supper or communion. I doubt I'll use it, but maybe I use the phrase Eucharist. Uh, These are all different terms that have different connotations that are referring to the same thing. The taking of the bread and the wine to symbolize uh, Christ's body and blood. All right. So if I say Lord's Supper or communion, I'm not using it with any particular shade of meaning. I'm just mixing it up so I don't say the same word over and over and over again. Uh, Also, I'm going to explain best I can why as a church we do what we do. But this is a subject that Christians have fought about a lot. Okay, over the years. And you will find lots of different Christians with lots of different ideas about communion. Uh, I'm going to share what I feel and as sort of an extension of that, sort of what we as a church do. Um, I think generally speaking, our leadership team is all in the same place on communion stuff. Um, And that's why we practice it the way we do. And it'd be very, I think if I talked to Preston or Alana or Fran, they would be in a very similar place as I am. Um, But if you're sitting here and you think, well, I don't think that. That's okay, right? There's place for diversity in the body of Christ. And uh, if I say something you don't totally agree with, that's all right. And if there's a question that you have along the way, definitely save it for our Q&A. This is not the kind of thing where I'm here to tell you what I definitely know is definitely the right answers. And if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. I want to – I'm just sharing what we do as a church. And uh, if you have different ideas, uh, uh, that's fine. All right. Uh, Matthew 20 – sorry, Preston. Matthew 26, 17. (sighs) Wow, that is not the passage I want. Okay, what is that? That, oh, you know what that is. That is I copy and paste a slide from a previous sermon so that they always have the same format. And uh, I put the wrong one in here. So I'm going to look it up on my phone real quick. Um, Thanksgiving is a hard week for preachers, okay? We take a couple days off when we usually write our sermons. Um, All right. Uh, Matthew 26 verse 17 on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want to make the preparations to eat the passover? He replied go into the city uh, to a certain man and tell him the teacher says my appointed time is near I'm going to celebrate the passover with my disciples at your house So the disciples did as Jesus had directed and prepared the passover all right, so Um, First of all, it's important for us to remember as we talk about the Last Supper or uh, Jesus' last meal with his disciples, which then institutes communion, that it is a Passover meal, right? Uh, This is something that you probably have Jewish friends who still participate in this every year around our Easter. Um, It is part of the tradition of the Hebrew Bible. It's part of what Jewish people have done through the centuries. And Passover was a special meal that they would have where they celebrated God's salvation of the Jewish people. I have a couple of verses here from Exodus that talks about the introduction of Passover. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So it's a Passover meal. Uh, There's a couple things about the fact that communion is rooted in the Passover, I think, that are um, helpful for us. First of all, it's a family meal. Passover would have been a place where your whole family, like on Thanksgiving, gets together and eats together. Uh, one of the questions we get sometimes, some churches don't allow children to partake of the communion, and some people do. Well, why does the feast let kids take communion? Uh, well, first of all, it's a choice of parents, right? If you don't want your children to, that's okay. But we allow kids to do it because it's rooted in a family meal. The Passover, in fact, children had an active role. There was a child who was supposed to, uh, here it's just sort of said, hey, when your kids happen to ask you, they created a whole, um, to this day, Jewish people have this like uh, almost play that they do at the dinner table. And one of the children is tasked with saying, father, mother, why is this meal so important to us? The children are integral to the celebration of the Passover. And so that's one of the reasons that we, uh, we welcome kids here. Also, practically um, we have this passage where Jesus has children coming to him and the disciples try to shoo the children away. And Jesus says, do not hinder little children from coming to me. Uh, we just kind of believe that allowing kids to take communion, if their parents desire that for them, is a way that we do not hinder children from coming to the Lord, if that makes sense. The Passover is also significant, however, because of this, uh, salvation significance, right? This image is a very, uh, a very Christian mashup of these things, but I think it illustrates it well. In the same way that at the Passover there was blood on the wooden doorposts, which would say this household has been saved, this household should be passed over. In the same way the cross and the blood stained on the cross is this sort of image of a person or a family who has been claimed by Christ and who has salvation from uh, whatever spiritual dangers there may be in the world. And so when Jesus institutes this meal at the same time as the Passover, he's borrowing from it some of these salvation topics. This idea that God is going to save his people and that we're commemorating God's willingness uh, to save us from our sins. Um, One last little piece of all of that is... um, because this was a time where a community was saved, right? We often talk about personal salvation in Christianity, but Passover is about a time of God saving his people, about saving Israel. And I believe communion is supposed to be that too, that it's about a time where God, we celebrate God's saving of the church. Uh, so you might ask, why at the feast do you guys come up in the front? Why don't you just sit in your pews? And one of the reasons we like that is there's a family aspect, right? As you come into the middle of the aisles, you make eye contact with people, and you have kids running between your your legs and all those kinds of things that remind you that you don't take of this supper by yourself. You do it in a family. All right, next bit. When the evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after another, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it was written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. Uh, First of all, I just love that the disciples sound a lot like my kids. Listen, guys, somebody did not flush the toilet. And immediately they all go, not me, not me, not me, right? You know, like this is exactly the way that these disciples are with Jesus. Jesus goes, one of you will betray me. And immediately 12 guys go, oh, oh, not me. It's not, I didn't do it right. Um, What's fascinating about this story is how welcoming and open Jesus makes his table. The very first communion was fed to 12 men, and one of them was actively planning in his heart to murder the Son of God. That is a continuation of a radical practice throughout the Gospels that Jesus had, that Jesus would eat with anybody. And no matter how dark their heart might be, they still have a place at Jesus' table. One of the things Christians fight about a lot is the idea of open versus closed communion. Is communion only available for people who are already Christians, who have been baptized, who have a relationship with Jesus? Uh, how do we enforce that? Do we have like a, you know, like a pre sponsor up here that's like, nope, sorry, you're not, a, you know, you're not allowed. Uh, do we just put like a, a stern warning in the bulletin, right? Like, don't come up if you don't know Jesus. And we've always practiced open communion here. And one of the reasons we do is if Judas is good enough to take of the first communion, there's nobody in our midst that doesn't deserve to be welcomed as well. Right? Like Judas is about as bad as you can get. And Jesus even says, it'd been better if that man had never been born. And yet he still welcomes him at his table. Um, Jesus throughout the Gospels is constantly getting criticized by the Pharisees. You're not supposed to eat with that kind of person. And he goes, no, I welcome them to eat with me. And I cannot see how in the world that table would not extend to today. Why Jesus would not welcome anyone to his table, just as he did in his life. And so that's one of the reasons, a big reason why we practice open communion, is um, because of Judas. Uh, this idea that this table is a place of welcome for all. Also, I would point out quickly, again, the Passover roots. There are uh, ways for foreigners to take communion. Of communion with the Israelites in the Hebrew Bible. The Passover is a open meal that is not just for Jewish people, but also the foreigners living among them. Now, there's some restrictions and some rules. It's not as open as we might like, but there still is that spirit that even those who aren't part of the covenant people of God are welcome to take of the Passover. And in the same way, we encourage people who even aren't part of the covenant people of God to take of communion if they, if they desire it. Matthew twenty six twenty six, While they were eating, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. Uh, Jesus lays out the meaning here of communion very clearly. The bread is symbolic of the broken body of Jesus on the cross. The wine is the blood of Jesus. And they symbolize his, his sacrifice, his willingness to die. Again, this connects deeply with the Passover. The Passover lamb is the spotless animal who is killed in order to protect God's people. was killed in order to atone for their sins and in the same way jesus becomes the perfect passover lamb the one who who takes our sin on his shoulders and we remember his sacrifice and the depth of his love when we take it and it's foundational to who we are as christians Um, it's important that we the reason part of the reason we do it every week and i'm going to get to this is because it's at the deep core of the message the depth of god's love for us is shown on the cross And so we take it weekly to remind ourselves of his broken body and his shed blood. Uh, Some preachers think that every sermon should end with talking about the cross and the gospel. Um, You may have noticed I'm not one of those preachers. I don't somehow make a sermon about Ezekiel, like do a judo move into the cross, right? Uh, I'm just not that guy. But part of the reason I don't do that is because I know that the cross of Jesus is proclaimed to our church every single week in communion. There is no week that goes by where we do not talk about Jesus' death for us and the good news of his love for us, because every single week um, those, uh, those things come up when we talk about uh, communion. Um, another thing that we need to talk about here, Jesus talks about the blood shed for the new covenant. Uh, covenants are where we maybe don't use as much anymore, but covenant. Uh, refers to several things. It it can be referred to as a contract, an agreement, a relationship, um, a marriage. A covenant is a relational promise, a agreement made between two parties of I will behave this way towards you and you will behave this way towards me. Uh, The classic way we say it in the Bible is uh, Jesus uh, would be uh, they will be my people and I shall be their God. Right? This is the covenant between God and the Israelites. You will do these things I ask you to do, and I will bless you, and I will take care of you. Jesus is saying that there is a new covenant. There is a new deal. Uh, that when, we, when Jesus died, that sacrifice in the temple and the priesthood is not the way that God's going to mitigate his relationship with us anymore. It's now via Jesus and the cross. And that's uh, part of what we do when we take communion is a covenant renewal ceremony. Uh, It's kind of like renewing your vows. I don't know if any of you have done that or been at a a celebration where somebody did that, where they go, hey, we're married, and we've been married a long time, but we want to have a special time where we recommit ourselves to that. And that's what we do in communion. We recommit ourselves to God, and we remember his commitment to us. And so that's why when people do the little talks up here, you'll notice that sometimes they're kind of introspective. This is what's going on in my life right now. And the reason we do that is it's not inappropriate at all. It's a way of someone saying, in my relationship with Jesus, in the covenant that I have with Christ, this is how it's been going lately. And I want to encourage you to let it go well with you. I want to encourage you this week to recommit yourself to this marriage with Christ. Uh, And so covenant renewal is a major part of what's happening when Jesus talks about being a covenant in his body. Uh, also, notice that it looks forward. Jesus says, I will not take it again till I take it in my Father's kingdom. There's this theme of the messianic banquet that's to come. It's one of the reasons we're the feast, right? Is one day God is going to celebrate this great meal with all of his people. And we proclaim that kingdom. Not only does the Lord's Supper look backwards to Jesus' death, but it looks forward to the kingdom to come the time when we'll all be with uh, Jesus in the new heaven and the new earth and enjoy all of the bounty and the goodness and uh, the wine, and all those things that the Bible talks expressly about God uh, giving us when all things are made right. All right, I'm going to answer a few more questions you might have, and then if I miss one, we'll do our Q&A. Uh, some people say, well, why do you do it weekly? Uh, and there's several reasons we do it weekly. One, we do think it's very central to our faith. Two, uh, the best we can tell, the first century church did it at least weekly, so we just follow their practice. Um, Also, um, Jesus uses this phrase, not in Matthew, but in other places, as often as you take of this, think of me. Uh, Now, does that mean as often as you do communion? I think he maybe said as as often as you eat bread and wine, which would have been every day, right? Remember me and what I have done for you. Uh, There is some debate in Acts, but there may have been daily communion in Acts because it talks of them breaking bread every day. And does that mean having a meal together, or does it mean to having communion, or does it mean both? We don't know, but I think there's good evidence that the early church did this um, with some frequency uh, in order to remind themselves of what Jesus had done for them often. Um, second of all, you may ask, well, why do you guys do that thing where you dip it in the, the bread and the juice called intinction? Where does that come from? And I'm sorry, this is a really lame answer. It's just really easy. OK, um, I grew up in churches where they always had these communion trays with these little tiny cups and they squirted them with the, the, the juice. Um, that's a real pain in the neck to do every Sunday morning. And when we moved up here, every church that we visited um, did this intinction thing where you take the bread and you dip it in the juice and you take it. Um, and so we thought, well, if a lot of churches in New England are doing that. That's a really simple way to do it. Again, we like the family aspect. We like the fact that we come together. We like the fact that we share one cup without actually doing the real germy thing and actually sharing one cup, right? And so um, there are churches that do that where they just come one after another and everyone takes a sip out of the same cup. Uh, given the disease that is in this church at the current moment, as we mentioned with worship leaders, I would not be a huge fan of that. So it's, it really is just a pragmatic thing. There's lots of ways to take it and um, we don't have a particular value of intinction, it's just something we started doing and it fits uh, our our community well. Uh, Also, you notice we always talk about gluten-free and alcohol-free and some of you are probably bothered by the fact that it seems like the bread has leaven in it. right? So the Passover was unleavened bread and if I had all things equal, I would use unleavened bread. Uh, But the most important thing for us is that gluten-free piece. We have a few members that have extreme gluten stuff And remember, a big thing for me is that the table is a place of welcome. And the first time Emily Auger came with what she called her host in a bag, she had her own little Ziploc baggie with gluten-free bread. And I was like, that's just not right. You should not have to bring your own communion with you, right? Like, you should be treated and welcomed like everyone else. And so we do gluten-free, and I have not easily found gluten-free, leaven-free bread. And so we just... Do the gluten-free to welcome people and the significance of the leaven free bread, which is very important, obviously, in the Hebrew Bible. I don't think is as important in the New Testament. You, you just make decisions, <laughs> and that's what we made. As far as the alcohol-free, um, we have people who have made strong decisions not to drink alcohol, period, for whatever reason, uh, ethical, personal, moral, spiritual idea. Uh, also we have people, I don't know if we have people, but I would assume that we have somebody or the other who has a history of alcoholism. And so we do alcoholic free juice, alcoholic free, alcohol free juice, because, uh, we just wouldn't want to cause a problem for somebody that's committed themselves to not drinking. So, uh, that's why we do that. That's all the ones I have. So if you have any more questions about what we do, again, we're very much more in class setting today than we're in sermon setting um these are some of the reasons why we take communion the way we do and when we do um i think it's a beautiful gift from jesus jesus gives thanks and he offers his body and his blood i mean you imagine the symbolism when he's tearing the bread and he says i mean my body and he's pouring the juice and says this is my blood i mean for us that's just rote now but imagine what that felt like a mere 12 18 hours before he would see his actual skin rip, before he would see his blood flowing out of his wounds, Um, it's a significant offering of sacrifice. This is my body, this is my blood. And we feel like it's important to remember it and to remember it frequently because it's at the core of God's relationship with us and our covenant with him. And so every week we take it to remember what he's done, to look forward to what he's going to do, and most of all to resolve and to steel ourselves for the week ahead. I am going to live in light of this sacrifice every day of my life. And every seven days I'm going to get a little booster shot to remind me of how important this is. All right, um, that is all I've got. Do you guys have any other questions today? Yeah. Let me, let me make some quick statements. I did kind of avoid, but I think it's good to talk about quickly. Um, we are in a very Catholic culture, right? So we all probably have seen Catholic communion and their particular views. Um, first of all, it's helpful to note um, the spilled crackers in the truck is not a problem in Catholic theology because the way it goes is it's just a cracker until it's blessed by the priest, and then there is a miracle of transubstantiation where it then becomes the flesh of Christ. And that is the point at which you have to treat it with reverence because now it has been miraculously turned into the body of Jesus. Right? And that's where they get very concerned about no spilling, no dropping, treating it with reverence, and all those sorts of things. Um, I will say, uh, and this is, I don't love to get into denominational differences, but this is, I think, interesting Um, our, our, uh, the feast as part of American restoration movement, Protestantism, uh, churches of Christ, Christian churches, disciples of Christ has a very unique little spot in their theology of, uh, the Eucharist. Uh, you have Catholic doctrine and also Orthodox doctrine that talks about this miracle where when Jesus says, this is my body, he literally means this is my body. Uh, On the other end, you have most Protestant groups They go, oh, it's just a symbol. In fact, they will use the phrase "it is a mere symbol. It's just bread. It's just juice. It's nothing special. Uh, Within American Restoration Movement churches, there's kind of this weird middle position where they say it does not become the body of Jesus literally. But when we take it, Christ is present in its consumption in a spiritual way that is no mere symbol. You experience the presence of God in communion in a deeper sense than when you're just walking around. And so it's very interesting. It's a middle position, and it's a rare position, but I I just find it interesting. It's worth um, just noting. That That's, um, at least that's the way I grew up. This is the way Preston Alana and, and many of our other folks grew up. And that's a particular, it's just a peculiarity of, of that kind of tradition. Not to go to the sacramentalism of Catholicism, but also not to go to mere symbol. Um, because that feels almost like denigrating it, you know? So, yeah. 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 And there's always been. We could have a whole other sermon about the horizontal and vertical elements, right? The communion is a time with God, but it's also a time with one another. I think that's a lovely tradition. We traditionally, we haven't done it usually just because of, of drippage, <laughs> right? Um, and again, I, I always feel so weird talking about something so beautiful like communion in such practical terms. Uh, but it's generally been, um, we haven't, but I mean, it's, I, I, I do think it's beautiful at churches where they all wait. It also, um that's also really interesting on, like, it's a great spiritual meaning, but it also does something weird to uh, visitors sometimes, right? Because, like, you have to be really clear. All right, we're all going to hold it, and we're all going to take it together. I've been that guy who didn't know we are taking it together, and so I pop the cracker in, and then I'm looking around, and I'm like, oh, sorry, guys, <laughs> you know, like, I feel really embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, just my opinion on it is – Uh, It never says how big your church has to be. So, you know, Jesus says, you know, if three or more of you are gathered together, you know, like, I I think a couple is still the church, even if it's just the couple and they're both believers. So um, I don't see anything wrong with it. The way I grew up, it was um, communion every week was a commandment. Like, if you didn't take it, you were violating God's will. And so we had lots of like uh, on vacation in hotel rooms Like, Dad goes down to the grocery store and picks up bread and juice, and we do communion in the hotel because you don't want to. This will make Fran look bad. The first Sunday that I ever did not have communion in my entire life after being baptized was uh, the Sunday after we got married. We're on an airplane all day to Hawaii, and I didn't think it was that big of a deal, and so I didn't worry about it. That was the first time in... At least a decade that I ever had a single Sunday where I didn't take it. And that meant, like, I remember in college, a bunch of us in Paris finding, like, a shop and, like, buying. And we went to six shops because we couldn't find grape juice that wasn't wine. But, like, eventually we were real teetotaling good kids. We found, you know, some Welch's in, like, the sixth grocery store in Paris we went to because we had to take it and we couldn't miss. And so, yeah, there's some people that feel that way. Now, I, I, I tend not to see it that way anymore, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's fine to, you know, if people want to do it in their homes. I, I know people that do it as part of weddings. I think that's actually kind of beautiful. The idea that my marriage to you is deeply connected with my covenant with God and those covenants are intertwined in a special way. I, th- I think that's beautiful. I've, I've become real low on the rules, you know, like we just try to honor God the best we can. Yeah. Judy. Yeah, and I would say um, I definitely respect desires to f- do that to the highest of our ability the real problem there is based around a meal, right? And we've talked about this, where they would have a meal and the rich people who didn't have to work on Sunday would show up early and eat all the food and get super drunk. And then the other people would come and they'd be like, you know, dripping the last little bit of wine out of the bottle so they could take communion. And Paul said, this is ridiculous. Like, you cannot have union with one another if you're not even, you know, considering one another. And so... Uh, So yeah, the idea of taking it together is in response to that passage. And I think that's a beautiful expression of it. Um, But I don't think I've ever seen in a church, the type of abuse that caused Paul to talk about those things either. You know, we we've never had like tiered like, all right, listen, all of our gold members, if you'd go ahead and stand, um, we'll uh we'll give you a special double portion. Uh all of you cheapos in the back. Uh we'll get you guys in a minute, you know, like that's just you know, like no, we don't do that in church, right? We're all together. Yeah. So, so cool. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Gold plus preferred if you would uh <laughs> Set up the the southwest pylons, you know, the way they they seat their planes. If we could get A1 through 30 to line up on the right side of the building...